0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Faith Bridge Men Podcast. Really glad for the opportunity to do something a little bit different than normal. We're coming to this text in the study that Mace is leading you through that has been historically a little controverted um, in the church. And so what I'd like to do before we have the the conversation is I want to introduce who we're having the conversation with and then I want to back up and just remind Faith Bridgers of something that we call our convictions, persuasions, and opinions. First, let me introduce Mace Perez, who needs no introduction. Mm -hmm. You know him already from Faith Bridge Men. I want you to meet Dr. Todd Still, who is the dean of the George W. Truitt uh, Theological Seminary. at Baylor University. Todd and I got to have coffee a few weeks ago because of my dear friend, our dear friend, uh, Steve Besner, who said, you need to meet this guy. And occasionally you just meet somebody that you just click with. And I think it wasn't within 24 hours you said, I would like to have a conversation about this theological uh, subject. And I said, I know who I want to, to, to have. And I called you, and you graciously said, I'll come down from Baylor and do it in person. It's a joy. And I appreciate that.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Really, really appreciate that. So here at FaithBridge, years ago, as every church planter kind of figures out, you're going to have to figure out what's in bounds and what's out of bounds. Because at the end of the day, everybody wants to know what's in bounds and what's out of bounds. Well, of course, you know, you're gonna start with the essentials, the apostles creed kind of stuff, uh, the t- Trinity and, and the uh, resurrection of Christ and, and uh, virgin birth and these sorts of things. So it's like, okay, check, 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 check. That's all obviously uh, essential. We have to have that. Then you get to the subjects, one of which we're gonna to discuss today, that tend to be the ones that are the most juicy, interesting, the ones that tear churches up the most. It's rarely Apostles' Creed stuff that tears churches up, right? That's your uh, predestinarianism uh, versus free will. How how much do we have and how much do we not have? uh, uh, Speaking in tongues, uh, you know, what's our position on that? uh, One that we're going to talk about right here. Uh, women in ministry today. Um, You also have baptism and communion, some of these sorts of things. So when we were starting the church, we said, we're going to be uncompromising about our convictions. That's Apostles' Creed stuff. On the persuasions, we're going to have latitude, and we're going to show grace, which uh, probably reflects my heart. I've always been a kingdom guy, Meaning, if somebody demonstrates that they have connected with Christ and that they have the gospel in them, I'm seeing fruit in their life, that's enough for me. We can arm wrestle uh, late at night if we want on some of the persuasional levels, but, um, but we're going to have fellowship. And we can all exist under the same roof in a church. Then you move down to uh, the even lesser important things, uh, you know, what color punch are we going to serve at the deal? What color carpet are we going to have? That sort of stuff we call opinions. What what uh, style of music are we going to use for this service and that sort of thing? So those are what we call the opinions. And so we're not even going to really spend any time on that. And then you have the social issues that are a whole, whole other thing that really kind of fall into the convictions. But that's a different conversation than our conversation today. So... If you want more about that, you can always just Google faith bridge, convictions, persuasion, opinions, and you can read everything crystal clear. Now, with that background, we're going to come to one of the texts. New Testament has several texts that are uh, Christians have arm wrestled over uh, for years uh, about women in ministry. Some people say, women in ministry? Of course, women in ministry. Why would you even ask the question? Some say women in ministry. Of course not women in ministry. How could you even think such a thing? And so uh, like any of these persuasion level issues, uh, a case can be made uh, sort of building your ladder up either side of the wall biblically, um, which is why they're so interesting and and why I'm convinced that uh, brothers and sisters can... Uh, coexist very happily uh, as long as is there's a graciousness shown uh, and not a dogmatism. And um, so we have uh, Mace, you have sort of preferred building your ladder up the complementarian side. I'm going to ask you to define that in a minute. Um, and Todd, you say, well, I think I see going up the other side of the wall, the egalitarian side. And so maybe that's a good place to start. Uh, uh, Why don't we start, uh, Mace, define complementarianism
2: for everybody. Sure. Um, I'm happy to do that. Before, um, I'd like to give one caveat that I would like to touch on that One of the reasons why there's a persuasion level issues, because we do agree on far more than we disagree on, not just the Apostles' Creed, but I think even as it comes to this topic. But my working definition of complementarianism is the position that men and women are completely equal in value, dignity, and worth before God, and have equal access to God in Christ, and that there are fundamental differences between men and women that should be embraced and celebrated... Whereby they complement one another. That's where we get that term complementarianism. They they complement one another, particularly evident in God's design for marriage, family, and the church. Gotcha. Say it one more. Say say
0: say the say the last part one more time just to make sure I've it's good. It's just it's kind of long. So say it sure. one more time.
2: Men and women completely equal in value, dignity, and worth. But we have differing functions that complement one another. There it is. So as okay. equal in okay. essence, mm-hmm. distinct in function. In function, there it is. All right, Todd, talk
0: about uh, what does egalitarian mean?
1: Yeah. So first of all, I remember a friend who said, "God creates people. Uh, people create pigeonholes. So we use labels to try to reduce complex concepts to sound bites." Mm. So, egalitarianism, if that's the label we must use, is in essence uh, an attempt to define one's theological and practical position vis a vis women and wives in marriage and ministry. And an egalitarian, or one who wants to argue for uh, biblical equality, is uh, one who says, based upon both the sweep and the specifics of Scripture, there is a quality for men and women in marriage and in ministry. And you then turn to text, typically other than 1 Timothy 2, Uh, in an attempt to build up this position. But the most important thing that we can all agree on is uh, you have to be honest Mm. and you have to get all the text on the table and at the end of the day, you might say, I'm going to put more weight on this text mm-hmm. instead of that one. Mm-hmm. And that's how you ultimately end up in one of these categories. Yeah,
2: yeah right. That's, that's well put. Can so, I, if I can add to, and I appreciate that, Dr. Still, I think it's also important to acknowledge that these umbrella terms our umbrella terms and that really yes it's not just two camps. We're really yep. talking about a spectrum. There you go. Oh, yeah. For and sure. so yeah. I think it's important that sure. Um, so me as the complementarian at the table, I am <laughs> not speaking for all complementarians, that there would be disagreement on right, our side of the spectrum. Right, 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 right. And I'm I know that the same would be the true of Dr. Still as well.
1: Yeah, it's true, because, I mean, uh, those who are more inclined to egalitarianism want to talk frequently about, quote, soft complementarianism, Mm -hmm. because it's not the same thing as a kind of patriarchalism that sees the whole of life as so structured in order that it's an over-under at every twist and turn. Yeah, yeah, well put.
0: Okay, so why don't we go uh, here? mace and by the way, I appreciate everybody 's tone. I think we all agree we 're brothers, mm. we love each mm. other so let 's just have the conversation, and nobody 's feelings are going to be hurt we 're just trying to 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 sort of figure uh, <clears throat> why don 't you mace, explain here 's why the ladder goes up this side of the wall for me um, it's certainly, we're in Timothy. So, I guess that's your primary text. There's a couple of others that you refer to, but explain it uh, here's biblically how I'm getting there.
2: Absolutely. So, I do want to get to First Timothy two, but similar to what Doctor Still said, I'm I'm not a complementarian because of First Timothy two alone. Mm-hmm. It is the the sweep and the specifics. I'm going to steal that, that language. That was good. Yeah, that's a good... Um, that's a good t- and so, and I'll, I'll I also That's add, what you get
0: when you get a New Testament professor. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you get good stuff. I think I'll take and, a note on that one.
2: And I'll, I'll also <laughs> just add, uh, as I think it's relevant, this is actually something that I... This is a position that I've come to over time that I actually changed my position in... Um, hmm since becoming a believer and even since coming to Faith Prison, we can talk a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. The, the first place I would start, and this is not the... Uh, one of the things that I know that Dr. Still and I, and, and you as well, Ken, would agree on is that we ultimately want our views shaped by Scripture, but mm-hmm. I do think um, natural revelation has a place. So one of the reasons why um, I would be a complementarian is that when we look at natural revelation, we see that there are distinctions between men and women, that there are physical difference. And yep. even uh, while there are certainly exceptions to this, even my own children, I have an eight year old boy and a three year old girl. They are very different in terms of their demeanors and their play style and those sorts of things. But most importantly, I came to this position by scripture. So it starts by the sweep of scripture. It starts on page one of the Bible that in Genesis one, God created humanity in his image and he created them Male and female, that he he made distinct um, beings, male and a female, and, and they were meant to be his imagers. And he, he said, Be fruitful and multiply. And as we know, that that requires both sexes, that requires men and women. So there, there's a func or excuse me, there's an essential equality of being made in the image of God, but there is a, a functional distinction. Mm-hmm. As, we, as we go forward into Genesis 2, we see God creating uh, the man. First, and Paul is going to reference that when we get to to First Timothy two that he creates the man first. But he, it's the first time he says something was not good, right? He says that the, the man was alone, and while he's alone, and this is again going to have reference to first or uh, relevance to First Timothy two, I think, when we get there, that it is to Adam that he gives the command to work and tend the land before Eve ever enters the picture but he says that it's not good and so of course we know that he he has all the animals come before him but a helper was not found suitable to him and so god creates woman from the man who we eventually learn is gets named eve to be his his helper that again we're seeing <laughs> some level of distinction in terms of 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 role uh one I like the way kevin the young the young writes he says another man another male human could have provided relational respite and energy for Adam. God could have gifted Adam a plow or a team of oxen or a fraternity of manly friends, all of which would have been useful, even delightful, but none would have been a helper fit for the crucial task of producing and rearing children, going back to that idea of being fruitful and multiplying. And so, um, and I think it's important to note that up until this point in the sweep of Scripture, we're pre-fall, so sin has not entered the picture, and we're already seeing clues that, that men and women are essentially equal, functionally different. And um, I'll, I'll go very quickly here. As we go through the sweep of Scripture, we see all of the patriarchs. We see all but one judge, all of the kings in Israel, the 12 apostles are are all men. And so I think that there is implications that fit with the sweep of Scripture that while God has made men and women essentially equal, that there do seem to be uh, some—I'm not on the full patriarchy end of the spectrum that Dr. Still referred to uh, earlier—but there do seem to be some um, roles in the life of the people of God that are are reserved for men. And again, I think that's especially relevant to marriage, and there I would go to Ephesians 5, and one of, but not the only text that I would go to when it comes— comes to the family of God, the church would be 1 Timothy 2, but I know we'll get into that a little bit more in a moment. Yeah. Good.
0: Well, okay, since you went back to Genesis, you want to go back to Genesis, uh, or or is there anything to add there or or straight into Timothy?
1: So uh, Genesis 1, and let us make humanity in our own image uh, and likeness, male and female created he them. Ostensibly, we see that uh, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are in some degree of tension because the kind of equality that one enjoys in one, one does not necessarily have in two. But be that as it may, at the end of the day, we have the fall, and the fall changes the game. So it's creation, fall, and then It is redemption. And Paul says, for example, if anyone is in Christ, new creation, old things passed away, new things have come. So when we begin to turn to texts in Paul that begin to think about how do men and women relate in marriage and ministry, I would also go to Ephesians 5, but I would start in 5.21, submitting, therefore, one to another. And see, if you don't have that mutual submission with which 521 begins, it's actually a participle. You don't even have the command in 522. You've got to go back to 521 to pick up the verbal. Mm. And so it is, in fact, a mutual submission that is envisioned there. Moreover, when you look to a text like... Uh, So this is not a Pauline one-note or a Johnny one-note. You find other passages in Paul that are particularly important. I would turn, uh, although this is often overlooked, to 1 Corinthians 7, where it says that each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and in contradistinction to contemporary context in which Paul found himself, and each woman with her own husband, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to to the wife, and likewise the wife to the husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body. And everyone in Paul's culture would have been saying, Amen, brother, Mm. but yields it to the husband in the same way. Mm -hmm. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to the wife. And this stands out like an erratic block on the landscape of ancient cultures. Yeah, that would have been like, what? what in the world are you talking about? And then when you begin to think about uh, ministry in particular, uh, I would simply point out that for the prohibitions, and we're about to encounter one, as we talk about 1 Timothy 2, Mm -hmm. one could also point to 1 Corinthians 14, 33b to 36. But one also has to understand that in addition to these what I call time-bound uh, uh, prohibitions, mm-hmm. there is also Pauline praxis. And when you begin to think about the women in the Pauline mission, you're able to assemble a remarkable uh, group of people. It's quite an ensemble, and yeah. they have names and they have titles. Mm-hmm. Phoebe's a deacon. Uh, Prisca is a co-worker. Junia is an apostle, and we're just the, to the tip of the proverbial iceberg. Mm. Numpha, Lydia, Uodia, Suntuke. Uh, these are not things that we're inventing out of thin air. They're texts. No, good
0: really good. Okay, so let's let's get into the crux. You want to go straight into the crux of, of t- uh, Timothy, where we are in the study? Sure. Alright, so, so d- tell us, Mace, here's where we're, uh, where we're going in the
2: complementarian uh,
0: interpretation.
2: Sure. Uh, I do want to just affirm something that Dr. Still said. Um, one of the things that um, I don't think the most helpful way of phrasing the question is, what do you think about women in ministry? That's normally what we hear, is that egalitarians are for women in ministry, complementarians are not for women in ministry. I cannot disagree with that more. I am absolutely for, and and complementarians are for, the, the Bible is for women in ministry. The question that we're really wrestling with is, are there certain... You know, offices or functions that are reserved for one gender or another. So I would affirm Very all good. of the women that Dr. Still just mentioned. The one thing that we would disagree on is whether or not Junia is an apostle, but uh, we're here Free to this, and
1: among the apostles. Among right? As an apostle. apostle or not. Right. But certainly among the 500 that see the risen Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, right. there had to have been some women. Absolutely. And so from Paul's angle of vision, uh, an apostle is one who has seen the risen Christ and been commissioned by the same. In Luke's angle of vision, an apostle was one that was from with Jesus from the beginning to the time of his ascension. So I'm happy to allow Luke to be Luke and Paul to be Paul.
0: Huh. Uh, interesting. Go to first, so, uh, first Timothy.
2: First Timothy 2. Yeah. And so uh, I think it'd be helpful just even before I... Just state my position, just to get the text in front of yeah, us. Yeah. So, yeah, um, the the critical passage that we're we're here to discuss primarily is First Timothy two verses nine through fifteen. So, uh, I'm reading from the NASB ninety five translation, just for reference. Likewise, I, Paul, want women to adorn themselves. And actually, I, I probably should back up. So mm. verse 8, mm. he mm. says, I want the men in every place. And then now he says, likewise. So he, he's connecting what he's about to say to women, to what he just said to men. So likewise, I, the Apostle Paul, want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modesty, uh, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as is proper proper for women making a claim to godliness. And now here's where we're getting to the the real rub. Uh, A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was created first and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Uh, but women, and I'll, I'll just, I can get into this in a moment. I don't think this is the best translation of verse 15, but I'll just keep reading the NAS. Uh, but women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. And so as as I walk through uh, the text, trying to, what I know Dr. Steele is trying to do as well, is, is let the text speak, not trying to make the text fit my theology, but let the 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 text inform my theology. So it, the reason why I think it's important to start in verse 9, even though that's not the most controversial verse, is he, he talks about proper clothing, and even that word for clothing can really just mean demeanor. He wants them to have this proper demeanor, um, something that, again, I know Dr. Still and I would agree on, is there is something contextual that Paul is addressing here. So... Uh, Apparently, as best as we can tell, maybe the the women in the in the congregation uh, at Ephesus were causing some sort of disruption. he's so he's saying, "Hey, you know, he addresses the men and we covered that on Tuesday night. now he's addressing the women and he he wants them to um dress modestly not not just in terms of clothing but in terms of the character and so that's kind of the principle and then he gives. Some specifics. And so he, he starts to go into specifics, and that's when he gets to some of the, you know, specifics about pearls and gold. But then he starts to say, okay, what a, a, a modest demeanor also looks like is um, he wants the women to receive instruction. And I think we would all agree that would be one of the, the culture shattering things that uh, there was there was uh, a thought in Judaism that did not value mm. women receiving yeah, instruction they're, so they're he is, invited he is affirming mm. yeah, them to learn. learn but he says uh, he must they must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man but to remain, remain quiet now a couple of things about this verse this is like the real rub verse right I think it's important and not all going back to our conversation about this being a spectrum not all complementarians would necessarily agree with this. My understanding is that the context that the, Paul is addressing in this letter is referring to the gathering of the local church. And so then as we look at verse uh, 12, those two uh, functions, and, and it is important to note that he is, it is the action that he is prohibiting, or to teach and to exercise authority— what we find from Scripture, including as we continue reading through 1 Timothy, is those were the two distinct functions or roles of the elders. And so uh, this this kind of fits with this, corrobor- uh, you know, corroborates with this idea that I don't think Paul, according to my interpretation, some complementarians may disagree with this, I don't think Paul is saying a woman should never teach a man like... Uh, in a, even a Sunday school class necessarily, or ever exercise authority over a man, say, in, in the business world. He's saying that within the church, the elders are the ones responsible for teaching and exercise authority over the body of Christ, and that that role of elder and those functions of authoritative teaching and exercising authority are reserved for, for men. I would go even so far as to say the elders. And then while I know Dr. Still and I would agree that Paul is... He's not writing these words out of thin air. He's 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 writing to address something that's going on with the church in Ephesus that that Timothy is overseeing. I think it's important to note that that Paul doesn't leave us to guess why he is believes that teaching and exercise exercising authority within the family of God is reserved to men. He he goes on. Into verse 13, he says, for Adam was created first. And then even here again, this is why I emphasized earlier as I was trying to just quickly go over the sweep, that we see this essence, equality of essence, but difference in function pre-fall. And so Paul appeals to pre-fall that it was Adam who was deceived first, or excuse me, Adam who was uh, created first. And then in verse 14, he it wasn't Adam who was deceived But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now, a couple things I think are important to note there and and be clear on. Uh, Paul is not absolving Adam of responsibility. Actually, in other places in Pauline literature, uh, Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, you know, says the buck stops with Adam. All that Paul is saying here is that he wasn't deceived. I think the implication is that Adam knew better, because in Genesis 2, Adam was the one who was given the, the command, mm-hmm. and Adam sinned willfully, but the woman was deceived, and now again, to be clear, I do not believe that this verse says that women shouldn't teach or exercise authority because they're more gullible than men. He is He's just referring back to Genesis 2 and then Genesis 3, that the, the woman was deceived, and I, I, I think the point that Paul is trying to make here is that at the fall is where we see that first twisting upside down of, of the, the order as the way it was supposed to be, that Adam was supposed to, to be the head, he w- which re- included responsibility to teach and protect and shepherd his wife, and that Adam failed and allowed his wife to uh, be deceived and fall into sin. And so again, other places in Paul, it, Paul is very clear that Adam, the buck stops with Adam. But here he, he's he's drawing out that, remember, we know back in Genesis 3, when we got this mixed up, the, the consequences were disastrous. But Paul, being a, a preacher of the gospel, doesn't leave uh, the woman or women in this state of transgression. So um, I think a, a better translation of verse 15 would be, but she, still referring to the woman, the the verb there is singular, but she will be saved through the childbearing. There's an article there that she will be saved through the childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with discretion. And so I think... um, it's important to note that the the verb is singular. I think he he's referring back to the woman. Then he says, through the childbearing. And so it's clear that Paul has been using language from Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, and now he's carrying that forward, and I think this is a reference to the Proto-Evangelium, that Genesis 3, that God said that from the woman was going to come a son who would defeat the serpent, that that would be her savior. So he's not leaving women in the state of, of transgression, that he he's saying that, that she will be saved through the childbearing. And there is this sort of transition, I think, going on in the text where he names Eve, and then he starts to use the generic term woman, and then he clearly does use... The A plural form, if they continue in faith, so I think from there, Paul is trying to slowly move from the specific woman Eve to women generally, so he kind of goes from general here's the reason why specific, and then back to general yeah, good that's good and thorough
0: all right, Todd let's go to same text
1: yeah. Well, Mace, uh, thank you for such a a thoughtful, careful treatment of the text. Maybe I could just summarize that which uh, results from my analysis of the text. So in this given ecclesial context, ostensibly Ephesus in the early to mid-60s, women, uh, Gune, can also be rendered wife— uh, women and or wives are precluded from uh, teaching, uh, exercising authority over men or husbands, likely due to concerns that arose in this context uh, where false teachers were promoting a faulty theology. So... I think that uh, since uh, 1736 and Paul Anton first labeled uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus as the pastorals, uh, these have been read collectively. I think that's not unhelpful as we try to better understand the so-called Ephesian heresy here. At least one and two Timothy are directed to Timothy in Ephesus, even as Titus is directed to the Pauline associate uh, in in Crete. It's fascinating, in 2 Timothy 3, uh, there is talk about false teachers, the kind 3-6 that worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women. That's not a flattering description, Mm. but at the end of the day, the idea is they're susceptible to this instruction, maybe not least since they themselves have not been instructed, Mm. who are loaded down with sins, swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, and there's an analogy drawn from the life of Moses. So... That seems to be the context. Now, as Mace rightly says, this is now grounded in history and theology, turning to uh, the creation account found in Genesis 2, uh, where Eve is labeled transgressor, Uh, but even then... Uh, whether one is or is not convinced by Mace's interpretation of 1 Timothy 2.15, there is a sign of hope. There is a companion text to this uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, b b 36 where women and our wives are enjoined to silence, and they're not meant to teach uh, men and or husbands. I think that this is an accurate interpretation of this text. I just don't think it's an adequate interpretation of the text. Hmm. Because the text is not an island, the text is ultimately a part of a canon. Uh, You find this text amid a constellation of instruction, and some of the claims... Some of the concerns do not walk lockstep with the instruction found in 1 Timothy 2. Let me just take one text, if I had to turn to, uh, as a go-to text that casts aspersions upon the clarity that some, not mace, but some see in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and it's this one. Having said in 1 Corinthians 11 that women will pray and prophesy, there is no doubt. This is a context of a local gathering as well. They will pray and prophesy. Uh, and yes, it is a mixed meeting because they're told to veil themselves or to keep their hairdos up, right? Because somehow, way, this is a sign of authority. Uh, there's no talk of the husband being authority. Uh, it's the veiling that somehow is the sign of authority. And Fascinatingly, they're to do this because so that they might have authority over their own head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in uh, a, a line that none of us understand, because of the angels, <laughs> but then in one Corinthians eleven eleven, that's the text to which I turn time and again. Paul begins with the transition plain. Nevertheless. In the Lord, neither woman is independent of man, nor man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so man also is born of woman, but everything comes of God. So, at the very least, we have this kind of mutuality, which Mace uh, agrees with, and then I'm gonna go maximalist on us. Okay. At the most, we have equality. So I'm doing more with this text than I am with 1 Timothy 2. Gotcha. But the truth is, is we're all trying to determine on which inf- uh, syllable to put the <laughs> emphasis. <laughs> right,
0: right, right, <laughs> well put. Great, fascinating, both of you. Great research, great study, uh, great insights um, about g- great texts. Now, I want to go back to you, Todd, because I can think of any number of conversations such as this that I've heard where uh, the egalitarian position of... Uh, by. Uh, complimentarians who are less gracious than Mace. Uh, 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 they try to take it out at the knees uh, by changing subjects and going from women uh, saying, okay, well, you're, I, I think I see what you're doing, but unless you just take it at face value right here, uh, how is that going to? Affect your doctrine when it comes to issues of uh, alternative sexualities?
1: Yeah. For example. Yeah. So um, there are many who have decided, to my mind, erroneously and unhelpfully, to uh, equate the matter of women in the church's ministry with LGBTQ advocacy. The two do not go together. Male and female created he them. Let's go back to the text that's not yet been mentioned. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, and Mace and I would both find this to be very important. The apostle writes, male and female. This harkens back to the Genesis account. So as to say, no, we are gendered beings. But at the end of the day, my argument is that at the end of the day, God gifts not predicated upon gender. And I think at the end of the day, the gifts and the callings of God, as Paul can say in Romans 9, are quote, irrevocable. And so my sense is that in gifting, the Holy Spirit, this is Gordon Fee, yeah. is gender blind. Uh. In gifting, uh, That's not to say that there are not gender distinctions which should be recognized and honored. That's to say in the church, uh, gifts are given indiscriminately of one's gender. And so when I think of positions, I'm going to think of gifts, Hmm. not positions. Hmm. Can women preach? Some can (laughs)
0: Can men? Well, (laughs) some some can. can.
1: (laughs) So uh, as you see, at the end of the day, I kind of have a rough and ready functional view of ministry, Uh, not this kind of ontological view of ministry. Mm -hmm. And I'm asking, what happens on the ground? And that takes me back to Paul and his ministry, because that was his concern. What happens on the ground? Euodia uh, Suntuke, you labored side by side with me in the gospel. So, loyal yoke fella, come alongside them. Help them get along because they're not getting along. And this is compromising the fabric of the Philippian fellowship. He didn't say, odia Suntuke, stop talking. Uh, <laughs> stop talking. At the end of the day, what you need to do is you need to mind the creche and bake the brownies. Right. Uh, he, he, he's, he's saying, Uh, get along, stop working at cross purposes so you can work for the purpose of the cross so that you can have this habit of mind among yourselves, which was also in the Lord Jesus.
0: So that was a lot, that was great, a lot to download. Mace, before we go to a different question, thoughts about uh, what we
2: just heard there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's another example where Dr. Still and I would actually agree on far more than we we disagree on. So, you know, he, he claims that God gives gifts, including teaching, preaching, leadership gifts, indiscriminately. I would agree where I stop is that because of places like 1 Timothy 2, that God gives gifts indiscriminately, but we cannot necessarily exercise those gifts indiscriminately, that, that Scripture, including Paul, seems to, to place boundaries on where those gifts uh, would be used. So Paul will actually exhort the, the women um, in other places in the pastoral epistles that the older women should teach the younger women. We do see places like um, where women are, are doing vital ministry, um, but I think it's important to note that uh, the verbs, didaskain to teach, and a lot of the other places where we see women clearly doing some sort of edifying or, or, or teaching or helping explain the scripture, Paul, Paul or, or Luke are using other, other places. So Paul will talk about in 1 Corinthians, women praying and prophesying. There, so there, there seems to be something distinct between praying in the gathering there seems to be something distinct about prophesying in the gathering, and then the role of being the authoritative teacher, uh, of expositor of God's Word within the gathering of the local church, which I would see as reserved for elders, which I would also see the role of elder reserved for men. So, but on the whole, I think we'd agree that there are many admirable women throughout Scripture who are faithful women and that uh, Paul and the other New Testament writers uh, affirm women being active in ministry, and that God does absolutely give women teaching and leadership gifts. Sure.
0: I think—so I'll just share experientially uh, my—the challenge that we have with a subject like this (laughs) is—you touched on it Uh, humorously—occasionally I'll have— women who will say to me, uh, uh, don't you believe in women in mystery or women can preach? I'm like, yes, absolutely. Well, here I am. Uh, Use me. (laughs) And that's an awkward conversation, (laughs) right? No no less awkward than if a a, a young man says, yeah, "Yeah, I'm ready. I'm like, yeah, I'm not quite seeing that, you know, but let's start with a a small group and, and kind of see where we go. So let's, let's go, um, let, let's do this. I, 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 even though you both are doing a fantastic job of, of taking us textually, our, our, our human depravity drives us back to uh, categories. And so I, I, I want to do that because you said something that triggered a thought, Mace. If there's a continuum um, of uh, you know, hard complementarianism, and hard egalitarianism, and then a, a milder or softer egalitarianism or a softer complementarianism, uh, give some handles f- f- for here. Because some some uh, of us are just learning this for the first time, right. right? And so so let's try to give some some handles so that, that, that people kind of say, okay, so I think this is where I am. And then, Todd, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing On the egalitarian so so like how would you describe a hard complementarian uh and then a soft complementarian
2: right so um i would probably be described as more of a soft complementarian that there would be people uh to the left of me or to the right of me which however you're thinking of the 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 spectrum more extreme on the complementarian side because I'm, as I've tried to argue, my interpretation of the text is limiting the teaching and exercising authority within the gathered local church, which is a function of the elders. So I personally have no problem with a, a woman teaching a Sunday school class that's mixed gendered, being a small group leader, um, because I see that as not as fundamentally different than the, the gathering of the entire church.
0: Okay. So let me, I'm going to push you just a little bit. What about a one-off sermon for the whole gathering? No,
2: I would say no, because I believe that the, the preaching moment of the gathered church is a job for the elders. Got it.
0: So, and therefore no women elders. Correct. Right. Okay. So that is going to beg a question I want to come back to in just a minute. Todd, let's go soft, complementarian, egalitarianism, uh, and and hard egalitarianism, and and, and how would you describe that?
1: I have been greatly aided, Ken and Mace, by the Ministry of Christians for Biblical Equality. And Mimi Haddad gives guidance to this remarkable group. I'm on their circle of reference. I find resources that the Christians for Biblical Equality do, to capture my habit of heart and mind regarding this matter, I don't think it's helpful not to be in conversation yeah. with <clears throat> complementarians. Sure. Um, and so for those who basically want to say, <clears throat> we're gonna take a scorched earth theory here. Yeah, right. All or nothing. That's not my habit of mind. Same. And so uh, if that represents uh, extreme egalitarianism, mm-hmm. I'm not there. Gotcha. Uh, I'm, I'm not there. Because at the end of the day, uh, although I might disagree mm-hmm. with a complementarian... Mm-hmm. I can acknowledge the work of God in their lives and in their midst. And so this comes back to in the essentials unity, in the non-essentials diversity, and in all things charity. Although I would be quick to say, if you are a female and you sense that God has grasped you for ministry, it's hard to see that as anything other than essential.
0: Ah, right. Right, so let us put that to the test, it follows, and let's explore those gifts and graces and develop them and see what's there, Uh, right. Okay, good. Now, so Mace, what you said piqued curiosity. Uh, and Of course, you know, I was gonna ask this, and if anybody who doesn't know, Mace and Jennifer are like family to us, and Bernard and Haven, and uh, Suzanne and I love them dearly. So, but you, we we talked about convictions, persuasions, opinions at the start. So you're saying within the persuasion, I come here, even though I work at a church church that has its leaning persuasion in the opposite direction, egalitarianism.
2: How do you do that conscionably? Right. So I, I think it goes back to um a couple different things that have already been mentioned. So I think it's relevant for this conversation that when I first came to Faith Bridge, I had barely even come to Christ by that point and so did not have um much scripturally informed views about anything, much less this conversation. And I think as you kind of, you know, uh imitated earlier on in our conversation, By intuition, I was an egalitarian. That, why is that even a question? This is the 21st century. Why would women be barred from being pastors or teaching, especially if they feel called by God and they're gifted and all these sorts of things? And so I was, but unlike Dr. Still, so I'm not saying that this is, you know, Dr. Still or you or anybody else at FaithBridge. I'm just saying, me personally, I was scripturally uninformed. And as I Mm -hmm. studied scripture, I came to believe that Scripture taught the complementarian view. So I changed my view because of what I saw in Scripture. I am comfortable being a member here and being on staff here for a couple of different reasons. Number one, I have a high, high, high view of what it means to be a church member, that when someone commits to a particular local body, that it is a commitment, and that that's not one that should be reneged on, swiftly or or or, or uh, flippantly. And so um, I take a high view of church membership, and I think it was Spurgeon, uh, Dr. Still would probably know, that um, I think it's important to know that there are no perfect churches out there. And I think it's Spurgeon that said, there are no per- perfect churches out there, and if there was one, I would ruin it the moment That's I walked great. in. So I think we need to understand that all churches are going to be uh, imperfect in in various ways, and as you know, my, my hope and dream is to plant a church. I am under no you know misunderstandings that whatever church that the Lord might graciously have me lead or or, or begin is going to be a perfect church. And so I have a high view of church membership, and then I I appreciate the culture that you you Ken and and other people that were pivotal in starting the church and setting the culture of this church. That that this is an issue that we have said, and I've seen it lived out that we. We're not gonna die on every hill, including this one. And so our posture as a church is that as long as we can keep it at the persuasion level, graciously disagree, we wanna maintain that fellowship together and partner in ministry, in ministry together. And I think ultimately, God gets more glory that way, that to see the body of Christ, to see brothers dwell in unity. Amen to that. And
0: I appreciate what you just said and can heartily confirm. If we were talking about a different persuasion, which we're not in this one, but uh, more of the free will predestination uh, question, I have, I guess, what you would call uh, uh, hardcore free will, brothers and sisters, who have asked me, how can you have uh, several of your prominent preachers, because we use a team, as you know, who are thoroughgoing reformed uh, Calvinists and I'll typically say, well, have you listened to how good they are? <laughs> <laughs> and people's like, well, how do you hold that together? I'm saying, well, look, I'll just illustrate very personally. Uh, ben Stewart, mm-hmm. uh, will be more complimentary on this subject. Um, and uh, more uh, Calvinistic um, in the free will. And yet he and I are the best of friends, and uh, talk all the time and never talk about these things, which kind of shocks new Christians, young Christians say, you don't talk, I'm like, no. Because we trust each other's heart at such a deep level. Uh, we don't have to do that. And when he has spoken here or done, uh, you know, post recordings, uh, he's, like you, has been very gracious to say, you know, I'm probably going to come a little different than Ken on this one. Um, but here's, you know, how I'm, I'm seeing it. And so I think that is one of the reasons that Faith Bridge has been, and, and, and Lord willing, will continue to be a healthy place because we've, I think we've drawn, uh, good chalk lines, uh, for inbounds and out of bounds and, what we're going to, uh, say, uh, are the hills that we're going to die on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then there's a lot of latitude, um, otherwise. And I bet that Todd, you've got, uh, notwithstanding your, uh, leanings towards egalitarianism, I would suspect on your faculty or in your student body at Truitt, you're going to have people who are going to come in a, uh, a, a more on
1: the complementarian side. Not on our faculty. Not on your faculty, but within our student body. Sure, you would. Yeah. yeah. And um, you know, I do think that it's important for Christians to be able to talk to one another and not past one another. Amen on on such issues. Now, uh, we do have faculty that are more inclined to an Arminian perspective and a Calvinist perspective. Sure, sure. And to mention another that we've not mentioned, uh, let's don't die on the millennial hill, ah, right. right? So these are the kinds of things that have so often divided believers. Um, as a Baptist, uh, hear me say, how much water one uses <laughs> or what <laughs> one drinks out of a cup uh. is really not at the end of the day uh going to rise to uh the level of uh irrefutable doctrine
0: yeah yeah well we got the we got the baptism one solved two or three weeks ago ago when we we did those recordings (laughs) i love it so and and, you know i'll tell you another thing you i you would i think you would remember this mace because i think you were here Uh, todd you'll enjoy this we have uh marched this out even at the staff level for years i'm thinking of an era when we had two retired pastors on our staff who had said you know i'm retired but i i still got energy put me to work and they were both members here one was a thoroughgoing uh, dispensational dts uh uh, Bible church, uh, guy, one was a thoroughgoing uh, charismatic tongue speaking prayer guy. And at our staff link, which is our Tuesday gathering for the whole staff where we sing and share some God sightings and usually have a teacher. Many times they'd sit at the same table. And I thought, beautiful. you know, that is the way that the spirit of Christ right. should, uh, be working. And, uh, all right, well, let's close it up by, uh, let's see. How about some resources? Do you have uh, a favorite resource or two? Some of you will want to go further, and others of you are like my cup runneth over, uh, <laughs> and that's okay. So if but those who want to go further, uh, read a little bit more. What on the complementarian? What's what's the best thing you're enjoying? Right.
2: So for for anyone that wanted to get a, a, a deeper understanding of the complementarian position, I think a good starting point is John Piper has a message on his website, Desiring God. It's it's titled, God Created Man, Male and Female. What does it mean to be a good complementarian? And it, it'd be a good getting a little bit deeper into the waters. And from there, there will be all sorts of, of footnotes to continue down the rabbit hole as, as far as someone right. would and want to. Right, and on his
0: site, you can read uh, transcripts. Correct. As well as listen. Correct. And uh, Yeah, good. Okay, that's a good one. Uh,
1: Todd. Todd. So, in addition to the Christians for Biblical Equality website... I have myself done a little pamphlet entitled, Women in Ministry. Okay. Uh, you can Google my name, the title, Women in Ministry. It's not the last word, it is a word, okay. and I think it begins the conversation. Then let's not overlook the fact that Methodists have made a remarkable contribution to this conversation. Uh, I'll mention two who... Ken, as it happens, both serve on the faculty of Asbury, where you're a trustee, one. Uh, Craig Keener, Paul, Women and Wives... Mm -hmm. It's not for the faint of heart. It does yeah. require uh, a careful, thoughtful, slow read, but it repays careful time and attention. The other person I'll mention is our friend Ben Witherington. Yeah. Not only women in the early churches, but also women and the genesis of Christianity. So uh, think um, Asbury. uh Craig Keener, Ben Witherington, uh, Christians for Biblical Equality, these are really good resources for those who would like to receive instruction regarding more an egalitarian view from Irenic evangelicals. Mm. Nice.
0: This has been fun. It has. I've enjoyed this. Thank you. Todd, thank you for coming from Baylor today. Mace, thank you for coming... From downstairs. downstairs. From downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a joy, and I hope a help for uh, all of you. I hope that you have a great rest of the week and that you have a, a, a great rest of the semester. Uh, thanks for the great leadership that you're giving uh, to men and the journey that you're taking fighting the good fight. And Thanks for the great leadership that you give at Truett. And I'm looking forward to, to more friendship and, and connection with, uh,
1: with Truett. Thank it's you, a, Ken. Yeah. It's, it's a, a joy. Fabulous. Thank you, Mace. Thanks, everybody.